Good day, everybody. This is the Deceptively Fast Podcast. I am Seth Payne. You can follow us on iTunes. You can follow us on Radio.com as well as any of the other platforms where you might find your podcast. Today we have Sean T. Pendergast with his picks. Also a little bit of chatting about uh, which which profession that is not a criminal profession most rewards antisocial behavior. I hope I don't offend any of you, but I feel like in the professions that we talked about, if you're good at it, you're probably going to agree with us a little bit. So uh, antisocial, non-criminal behavior and how to get rewarded for it in life and in business. And then we'll have Michael Lombardi. Michael Lombardi, as always, we talk about a whole bunch of stuff from around the NFL, including Josh Gordon and his imminent potential suspension, but his departure from the New England Patriots. Michael Lombardi has some up-close and personal experience with Josh Gordon because he was at the Browns when Josh Gordon was at the Browns. So we'll talk to him about that and everything else going on as we lead up to the playoffs in the NFL here. If you feel like giving a review, I would love it. Thank you. Uh, Several of you gave me some really nice reviews this last week, and I really, really appreciate it. Go ahead and rate me on iTunes or wherever else you get those podcasts. Again, it's the Deceptively Fast Podcast. And before we get to Sean, I want you guys to be careful. We are closing in on Christmas. I know that means a lot of parties. I know that means relatives coming to visit, all kinds of social events. And look, you're going to be out having a good time. Just remember, drunk driving still kills a whole lot of people in the United States every single year. They've made a lot of progress, but it still claims more than 10,000 lives every year. And the other thing to remember is that driving while high is just as dangerous as driving while drunk. 42% of drivers killed in crashes in 2015 tested positive for drugs. If you feel different, you're going to drive different. It's as simple as that. Don't overthink this. Whether you're drunk, whether you're high, whatever you're doing, if you feel different, you're going to drive different. Be careful. Be safe. Get a ride share. Do whatever you do. Just don't get behind the wheel. I love you guys. I want you to stay healthy and happy this holiday season. If you drive high, you're going to get a DUI, drive sober, or get pulled over. You know who else cares about you and wants you to be safe? Sean T. Pendergast. I do a bad job of promoting your Twitter, so I'm saying Sean T. Pendergast because that's your Twitter handle. No problem, Seth C. Payne. Uh, That's right. Seth Copeland Payne. Sean Thaddeus. I like telling people, like, either Tutankhamen (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, yeah, some intricate T name, but no, it's Thomas. It's the most boring T name that you can have. No disrespect to all the Thomases that's, out there. You know, that's Yours is Copeland? Copeland, yeah. It's a family name. That's awesome. My son's middle name is Crawford, which I think is pretty oh, that cool. Is that's pretty a family cool. name, too, yeah. If you're going to change your name to try to lend it more prestige, that would be a way to do a low-key where people wouldn't even notice because yeah. a lot of people might not know your middle name anyway. Yeah, yeah. Pendergast is pretty unique, though, too. It's Irish. It's not as unique if we were doing this uh, show in Ireland right yeah. now, but it's uh, but it's it's fairly unique to to uh, to our mother country here yeah. in America. <laughs> They'd it's be like, f- which Pendergast? The blacksmith Pendergast or the Pendergast who went over a hill and came down a mountain? The Pendergast's in that uh, hovel over there <laughs> up, on, up, up on the rainy hill. The Pendergast who wronged us centuries ago. I'll tell you, there is a Pendergast mob family in Kansas City that has been in in Kansas City for decades and decades. There is a Pendergast room at one of the nicest steakhouses in Kansas City. There is a Pendergast room out of homage 
to the Pendergast mob family that ran Kansas City back in the early 20s. Really? Yeah. I've uh, I've heard good things about the Kansas City mob. It, like yeah. other Like many other things in Kansas City. It'll, it's underrated. Uh, it, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and, and their mob scene is a little underrated too, and I'm proud that my family was part of that mob scene. I, I, I'm a big wannabe Italian. I, you know, I'm half Irish, half German. I'm a huge wannabe Italian. You, you in a movie, you look like you could play the part of like the Italian lawyer or something, or I, the, uh, the Italian accountant. The bald head. Or excuse me, not the Italian, the Irish guy that works for the mob. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. like Tom Hagen in, in The Godfather, yeah. or, or Henry Hill. He was uh, he was part Sicilian, part Irish. That's so right. Jimmy Conway, I don't think never, he could never be made. He right? could never be made, and Jimmy Conway could never be made because he was Irish too. But uh-huh. they were both huge earners for Paulie Cicero in the movie Goodfellas. So they're they're cool. I feel like the mob is is a very bottom line oriented business where if you're bringing in money for them, they're cool with you. Yeah, very few. Um, you don't get you don't get. Marked down for character issues nearly as often as in the NFL. No, I feel like, like that's Josh a, Gordon would still be playing if he could produce. Yeah, like the character issues, like like character issues in the NFL across the board with most teams will be demerits. But I feel like some of the things that would be character issues in the NFL or in you know society are actually positive things in the mob, like proclivity for violence, yeah. no nonsense behavior. Um, those are all things that. Uh, they, they reward they, they, antisocial behavior because they, they, they are, do. after all, criminals. They, they do, yeah. No, they're, they're, the sociopathic grid is the complete opposite. It's the bizarro societal grid what when it comes there, to the mob. Is there a non-criminal but loyalty, loyalty is big. Right, right. Yeah, like yeah. A lot of like uh, the very human interpersonal qualities yeah. and traits are important. Right. Uh, feel, but also, I feel like an ability to lie, though, to those close to you seems to help you get ahead also. Yeah. I, uh, uh, you know what? A knack for hypocrisy. Helps a lot in the mob. Yeah, yeah. You have to be able to withstand some of that. You you have to you have to be able to lie to yourself a little bit, I think, in the mob. It would be fun to listen to a Bill O'Brien press conference and hear him talk about players and see if we if if he were talking about a mobster, do we think that guy would make a good mobster? Because he always talks about he's a good guy, he's a good teammate. I feel like that is kind of one of the things that you need to be if you're gonna be a mobster. I feel like you the definitely Texans, have to be a good teammate. Yeah, I feel like the Texans have a lot of good uh, potential mobsters from a loyalty standpoint. Now which ones would be inclined to, to perform a hit on somebody? You know, they've got a lot of nice guys on that team. I don't know which Texan. I don't even know I want to go down the road of which Texan would be most uh, likely to do a hit. Although I feel the Honey Badger's background, he's probably been run around in, in circles that kind of get close to that before. If you, uh, yeah, if you've got enough of a temper that you can talk yourself into it, I'm I think the Honey like Badger might be. I think the Honey Badger would be the best mobster on the Texans, and I'll just leave it at that. So what what enterprise that's not a criminal enterprise most rewards antisocial behavior? Other than like you know trust fund manager or something, I like I, Boy, I feel that's like a good question. I feel like sports radio to some degree does reward in anything in entertainment rewards antisocial behavior in that like let's say reality television. Yeah. Reality television wants exaggerated behavior. Yeah, they yeah. want anger. They want jealousy. They want all those things. Yeah. So people that haven't learned to temper those things, or at the very least keep their mouth shut every now and then, yep. are rewarded in reality television. I yeah. think I think probably in sports radio because just the more the more personality and volatility to a certain degree it yeah. seems to help. Yeah. Boy, antisocial behavior. Sales perhaps? Um, uh, well, boy, I was in sales. But, but people that have less empathy, as long as they know how to disguise it, can do very that's well. That's a great one. That's a great like, one. As a salesperson, the persistence also sometimes requires that, like, okay, this person might think I'm pushy, but I don't care. No, and you've got to be cold. Man, my, my mentor, one of my mentors in sales, I've got, like, four 
I've got like four guys who I patterned my entire the entire you know ball of wax that was my corporate career pre-radio and even some of what I do now in radio on the business side of things. I've got like four guys who I took all of all of my all of my credos from, all of my mannerisms from. Like I I'm I'm an amalgamation of these four guys and I remember the the first time I ever got hired into a job, the first time I ever got promoted into a job where I was hiring people. Um he said, find people that think selfishly. Yeah. When you're hiring salespeople, that was the number one thing. Find people who think selfishly, which is, like you just said, it's the complete antithesis of what you think you would be looking for to build a team. Right, and you would think with sales, okay, you want somebody that's gregarious and personable, and you do want those things, but also that's motivated by the bottom line. At right? the end of the day, though, you can only be wired one way, uh-huh. and and that's and they're they're wired – selfishly and I think I was selfish sales wise but I think I'm a selfless person you know what I mean I, I think uh, you know it, it can't nothing's 100% nothing's really black and white but at the end of the day salespeople the good ones have a have a hardcore selfish gene yeah. that is it's not recessive you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> well I, there's a really one of the big surgical sales companies out there that's really successful and I know a couple guys and anybody that's in surgical sales listening right now will know that who I'm talking about if I'm talking about my ex-athlete friends that work for this company I don't want to call them up by name because they might be I know who you're talking you know who I'm talking about Mm -hmm. um but they do this personality profile and you take this test and my one friend told me he kind of knew going in you basically when you take this test want to be sure that you come off as the most arrogant brashest like cocksure douchebag in the world yeah because that's who they want they, they want do. guys that you're guys and women that are uh like have that attitude that are very smart uh very good looking and then there you go yeah you you want to go look at their car and see that it's a car that they need to make payments on this yeah. thing man. you love you want to see you want like, that pressure it's like paying the strippers in cash dude, right yeah. you want somebody that's going to go out <laughs> and like need to earn every week absolutely the more kids the better that's that's five tuitions <laughs> oh, really? they need to pay for yeah 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 you want to know that they're you want to know that there's a motivation there for yeah. them, you know? Well, so. this is okay. So to segue into football, and yeah. before we get into your picks, yeah. um, Josh Gordon was suspended today. Or excuse me, stepped away today. Not a good team. Depending on whether there may or may not be a suspension looming, Josh Gordon has his issues. I do wonder, even with all his issues, and I think it's far beyond just he likes to smoke a little pot. I mean, for him to not be able to adhere to the policy for this long. Right. Very few NFL players can't figure out how to make it work with the policy this many times too but i wonder you know he if it weren't for the policy at all i wonder if he still would have continued the season as a productive member of the patriots and he was he was at least adhering to the patriots way enough to stay on the field he just scored a touchdown like a week ago yeah. yeah i mean you watch him on the field and you go okay that's that guy's an nfl receiver he looks he doesn't look like the josh gordon of 2013 that was tearing tearing up the league that's a great question. Like, is the guy functional enough to show up? Functional enough to show up at work and do his job? And is he walking away because of a policy, or is the guy, you know, is it darker than that? Is it, is it more hardcore than that? And unfortunately, he plays in the league of the big leagues of the big three leagues that that is the least is is now and is probably going to be the least tolerant of stuff like that going forward they you know? need to look like america and apple pie yeah. and all of that stuff yep. uh we were doing something on our show this morning where we we're having my co-host paul gallant who you guys will hear later interviewing michael lombardi with us uh, and mike Meltzer. um where Paul Gallant was going through and basically saying whether or not various quarterbacks were worthy of being franchise yes, quarterbacks yeah 
Uh, you, I enjoyed you, that segment. You said, okay, did you enjoy it? We were wondering about it because we realized, like, we're just going through this really long list. I went back to 1997, and other than, like, the bona fide, okay, Troy Aikman, uh, Peyton Manning, all these guys that are bona fide quarterbacks, who are some of the other guys that maybe are a little bit on the fence, guys that made the Pro Bowl or played in made a Pro in Bowl? Super Bowls, yeah, so, you know? like, did, did these meet? Do these meet Paul Gallant's standards? So it was guys like Donovan McNabb, Michael yeah. Vick, Rich Gannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's but- why. Here, just real quick. Here's why I enjoyed the segment. And this is just. This may just be me, but I love segments like that where you're going through a litany of guys. Like and quarterback is a topic that anybody that's a sports fan has an opinion on. Yeah. And you find yourself going through the list when you you know when you say the name Donovan McNabb, I immediately say, yeah, he was a franchise quarterback. He you know he got to a Super Bowl. Statistically, he was one of the better quarterbacks, one of the best quarterbacks of his time. You know, you find yourself debating with you guys on the air. As you know, you're driving. As you're driving, you're yeah. You're thinking about it, yeah. Especially if you do it in word association style where you're saying the name and immediately I'm saying to myself yes or no, and then I want to hear what Paul has to say about it. And especially because over the last 72 hours, Paul's done a pretty good job of positioning himself as a wrestling heel, which <laughs> makes know. it even more entertaining. <laughs> he, so. he said – that he understands quarterbacks more than other people because he's watched Tom Brady his yes. entire life yeah. since and he was I, a child. Yeah, and I had a take on this. I texted you immediately as, <laughs> as I was listening to the segment. The, the thing is that Paul actually does really know what he's talking about. He does. And so what, what we're working on this show is now on him showing his work. Like, it's not enough. You can't just say somebody sucks. Like, it's like a math problem. Like, you don't get credit just for getting the answer right. right. Like, you have to explain why. So yeah. that was our exercise today, Yeah, going through those. That's one thing that – Mike and I talk about sometimes, my other co-host, yep. um, is that, like, okay, you always have to remember that a person listening is usually, like, a, whether it's a podcast or on radio, is usually either driving or cleaning the house or doing something. Yep. And when you do a list, you can't just read 10 list items, bam, in a, in a row and expect people to keep track. Yeah, but if yeah. you can play along with it in your head. Yeah, I thought it was a really good segment. I enjoyed it. Um, my What popped into my head, what made me text you, was that, you know, Paul's contention that he – he watched Tom Brady, so that kind of – I don't want to put words in Paul's mouth because I do think In the Loop kind of decontextualized what he said. I don't think he was necessarily saying, I watched Tom Brady, therefore I know more than everybody. He was saying he knew more than that texter. Um, but that he is acutely aware of what makes for good quarterbacking because he watched so much of it. And I start thinking to myself, because I, I think I'm – I'm not an X's and O's guy with football. Like I'm not the guy who's going to break down O line play, and I mean that's for guys like you that did it for ten years. But I do feel like quarterback is one of those positions where if you watch enough football, or in my case, you've bet on enough football, yes, yes, then you know what makes for winning quarterback play, and that that's that's what made me think of it is, and I've said this I think before on this podcast, is that take the NBA for example. There have been times where my NBA betting has ebbed and flowed. Like I have I bet maybe two NBA games all year this year. A lot of it is cuz I'm so into the football cuz the Texans are so good. But there have been years where I bet like two or three NBA games a night and I'm watching league pass and I'm flipping back and forth between games. And when you do that and you have money on a game and you're watching the fourth quarter of a game or any juncture in a game, you really get a feel for which guys affect winning. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, your your rooting interest is generally speaking aligned with a certain team there and and so you you start to understand which guys you, you know that the stars are the stars, but you do start to understand which stars all star level of play is winning basketball, and which ones are losing or inefficient. Bat like I've been in terms of being a guy who you want to be your best player. I've been off the Carmelo Anthony bandwagon the entire time he's been in the NBA because he's a he's a 
a selfish ISO player who doesn't get other guys involved. Right. Now, I, I was pro them bringing Carmelo here with the Rockets because I thought he could fill a role like as a scorer off the bench. Didn't and you work thought out. that maybe there's sometimes maturity does wonders for guys like that. Yeah. Or old, yeah not even maturity, but old age and understanding your limitations. Right, right. But, but you watch enough basketball with your hard-earned money on it, and you do start to form impressions over an 82-game season over – this guy, like he, certain guys are strong with yeah. the basketball. Certain guys are weak with the basketball. College is the same thing, and I think in football, quarterback play is like that. So you can get wrapped up in. I don't even look at things like touchdown, interception, like all the quantitative stuff. Like you look at Kirk Cousins quantitatively, and he's the same as a lot of pretty good quarterbacks this year. But I watch enough of Kirk Cousins to know that there there are just situational things about him where he is never to be trusted this and I'll bet against him every time. Yeah. This isn't the guy that's going to get it done. There, there is, and I guess the easiest way to boil it down without getting too in the weeds on numbers, and there will be no numbers involved in this take, is there are just certain guys that when the ball leaves their hands, if you are betting on him, you feel fantastic. Mm-hmm. When you are betting against him, you feel utter dread. And and that's that's the easiest way I can quantify just the – the subjective part of it, you know? No, and I think that it, it's important to talk about the subjective part of it because I think a lot of coaches, even the the really analytical ones, are still going with their gut on quarterback decisions. Yeah. I think a guy like Deshaun Watson, without breaking anything down, I look, each scout uh, has to, you know, write a report and everything, but at the end of the day with guys like that, I think coaches are looking at Deshaun Watson when he was in uh, in college and then perhaps now too and just thinking, all right, I trust this dude yeah. with two minutes left. And yep. like you said, when the ball – Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield's going to have some bad games. Like last week wasn't his best game. First half of the Texans game, he threw three interceptions. But there's something about that kid that when I watch him play football, I'm like, all right, this kid just gets it. He sees the field differently. The ball comes out of his hand differently. No doubt. At some point, I'm going to feel good about him. It doesn't mean you bet – it doesn't mean you back guys like that every time. But it does mean that your power rankings for those guys adjust a little bit just because of that intangible factor that mm-hmm. they have. You know, the Texans are an underdog this weekend. They're not one of they're not, you know, for or against one of my six best bets. I'm not betting on that game. But they're two and a half point underdogs this weekend. If you had to tell me which side I want to take, I, I will take Deshaun Watson getting points against what I think is a pretty average team in Philadelphia, just because I think I think there's a good chance they win the game. I wish it were three because I feel like that's one of those games. Well, this thing at the minimum for the Texans is definitely coming down to a field goal or going to overtime. Like mm-hmm. I feel this is a this is a one possession game, so I'll take Deshaun Watson in a one possession game getting points, that kind of thing. So it doesn't it, it doesn't mean you back them blindly in every underdog situation or even favorite situations, but it is something that factors in. And I do think, like I heard Paul saying, I, I know he is very very anti Marcus Mariota, and I am too, because I've since Marcus Mariota came into the league, he's been inaccurate. He's the, the injury thing doesn't bother me in terms of gambling because that's a that's a more long term thing that the Titans are going to have to deal with. I'm talking about yeah, on, each, a game, on a game by game basis. Game by game if he's basis, not injured in that game. Yeah, right. Unless he gets hurt in that game, you know, as far as the just the the skill set and the game to get, you know, like he's inaccurate. That's something that's never. I know from watching. And either backing or going against enough quarterbacks who come into the league inaccurate, that is something that's very difficult to cure. 
and it and it hasn't gotten really much better with with Marcus Mariota. The, the best way to cure it is if you can get receivers wide open. Yeah, <laughs> so like you don't cure it. You yeah, just, it, you scheme it, them, right, you right. Scheme you them, s- and maybe he's smarter. Right, is turn know. the clock back and then go back to Oregon and throw to guys in the Pac-12 that have six yards of separation. But I, you know, it's it's just one of those things. Like I know he's really reliant on explosive plays. Like I, the, you know, quarterbacks that I feel like have to string ten or twelve plays together. He's not a guy who feels like a guy who can do that. And that's just one example. I brought up Cousins as an example. There are just certain guys that you know you 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 shove the the the, the numerical stats mm-hmm. aside of yards and and touchdowns and interceptions and things like that, and you look a little deeper and goes, this is a guy I trust. This is a game they're going to have to be 45%, 50% on third down to win. Do I trust this guy to make enough big plays? And, the, and that's what makes me so frustrated, Seth, looking at the NFL, that an NFL team, a, a multi-billion dollar entity, if we're judging by values of franchises these days, has – what are presumably smart people in the front office, one who you came into the league playing for and Tom Coughlin looking at looking at Blake Bortles and going, this is a good idea to give him three years, $54 million. Especially when you had other op- – it's one thing if you were just punting on the issue until you could find a better option, but you had Pat Mahomes right there. You had Deshaun Watson yeah, right there. Yeah. You've had these options, and and you just chose not to take them. Yeah, and then I, this, don't, I don't get it. I don't either, I that, and that's – that. <laughs> That's why when football people get uppity about football decisions with, well, you're not in the building and you didn't play and you didn't, okay. <laughs> I mean, these people who played. Maybe, uh, a, there's something to be said for, yeah, I wasn't in the building. Like, I'm, maybe you're a little too close to the situation. Maybe I think, you like Blake Bortles. Maybe you've seen the, yeah. this is one of the things, and this is what I've always wanted about Gary Kubiak and maybe Bill O'Brien, is sometimes the more of a quarterback guy you are, you're, especially if you think you're a good quarterback's coach, you're going to fall in love with the good parts of your guy. Yeah. And you're going to think that, okay, well, he's he's got this, he's got this, he's got this. I can turn this into something. Yeah. Or we, all we need to do is refine it. Right. It's hard to – it's like it's like admitting your kid might be a jackass, you know? Because I know I'm not me. I'm not yeah. talking about me. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about anybody else's kid. I feel like I feel like Brock Osweiler kind of broke Bill O'Brien of that. Like I feel like the first two years O'Brien was here, he's like, yeah, Fitzy's the man. And then we saw the, the clip in Hard Knock about in 2015 about how tired he was of things that we were all saying about Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallett. I feel like Brock Osweiler was finally like this one-person intervention for Bill O'Brien. Where he, <laughs> like, okay, like you got to stop backing these these shitty quarterbacks, man. That was how. Uh, that was why for me personally, when I got into sports radio full time, the best thing for me selfishly that could have happened was that the Texans went two and fourteen. Right. I, it, it 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 beat all the homerism out of me. Like I had <laughs> yes. to all the former player stuff where you have to you know like ah, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. After a while, you get to the point where like oh, what am I? I'm gonna look like a complete fraud. Yeah, yeah they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so in light of that conversation, Chargers versus the Ravens. This is a game in San Diego. The Ravens are just three and four on the road. What does your gut tell you about Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens going against the – did I say San Diego Chargers? You did. You did. Damn it. Yeah, I didn't want to correct Damn it. you. Damn it. No, please correct me. Okay. Los Angeles Chargers. I wish they were in San Diego. Still, it's, it's a beautiful ir- city. It's ironic because last week when we recorded, it was right when um, we weren't certain yet about whether – what was the game last night where Stephen A. Smith forgot that a player was going to be It was that game. It was, the ch- it was the Chargers and the Chiefs on Thursday night. And he had he said that his 
big matchup in this game. Hunter Henry going yeah. against Derek Johnson. Yeah. No, but the uh, oh, guy's Spencer, been Spencer for... Ware was Spencer Ware. Oh was yeah, out. Spencer Ware. At the point, there were conflicting reports when we recorded it, yeah. and uh, like by the time later that afternoon, Stephen A. Smith had gotten up and and said that Spencer Ware was a big factor. In yeah, that he was already out. They so jumped he, him on that. He also said San Diego Chargers. So yeah. I'm uh, don't I'm feel bad. He makes like five million dollars a year. So Lamar Jackson versus Philip Rivers. Yeah, Lamar. I look all credit to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Four and one in the five games that that he started. Four and one straight up. The only loss. Man, it was against the Chiefs, and they had, they had fourth and nine in Kansas City, if I remember correctly. They, I think, I want to say it was. I can't remember if that game was in Baltimore or if it was, it was in Kansas City. Um, but they they had the Chiefs not dead to rights, but Mahomes had to make a huge highlight real play just to pull that game out of the fire. They could very easily be five and zero. Here's the thing about the five teams that the Baltimore Ravens have played so far, Seth, is. They are the five teams they've played so far have been among the bottom six or seven teams in that time frame in DVOA for run defense. Mm-hmm. Five of, and at one point, the five worst, at one point in that five week period, the five worst rush defenses in the league. The Ravens have been run heavy with Lamar Jackson. Obviously, his carries have been in the teens. He had 27 carries the first game that he started. So they're very reliant on the run. They're a team that if they if they get behind, especially behind against an offense like the Chargers, I don't know if Melvin Gordon's going to be back for this game or not. But they've they've run the ball okay with Justin Jackson and Philip Rivers is having an MVP caliber year. The Chargers might be the best team in football right now. They're nine and one straight up in their last ten games. They just beat the Chiefs last Thursday night. So I just think this is a case. Of a, of a Chargers team who's proven that they can win games in multiple ways. They're strong on both sides of the ball. Um, they're just average against the run. They're like, I think, 18th in DVOA, maybe 19th. But that's still 10 slots better than the, the defenses that the Ravens have been going against. It's in L.A., and I know it's not a great home field advantage. Yeah. But you're talking about the Ravens traveling all the way across the country. I just like the Chargers in this spot to cover the four and a half. I had no idea what to make of Anthony Lynn as a head coach. But when I saw Phillip Rivers speak with a glint in his eyes about the Chargers going for it at the end of the game um, and, and going for the win – with the uh, would they go for a two point conversion? They went for at a two at the end. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there, there's something about like this guy that's only been a coordinator for a little bit. He's gotten guys to buy in, and if Jeff Fisher got a contract extension based on his ability to keep the Rams at a 500 clip when they were moving oh to God. Los Angeles, yeah, then I would imagine Anthony Lynch should uh, should get a good oh, amount. Should of get credit a chunk for, of the team. So, should give him 25 percent <laughs> ownership. Uh, this one is interesting to me. You've got you're taking the Browns over the Bengals. Yeah, the Cleveland's at home. I know the Bengals are the Bengals, and they're doing all the things that the Bengals are doing right now, and their defense is one of the biggest disappointments in life, not just in sports. Eight and a half points, you're taking yeah. the Browns. I don't yeah. know if I can trust Baker Mayfield yet to, to take eight and a half points. I get it. I get it. But I, I think this, this is just one of these things, Seth, to me. I think I said this last week on the podcast. There are certain games where you want to lop off half of the standings and just look at what the part of the standings that are remaining look like. So we know the Bengals started off the season, I think, 4-1, and one, kind of a Fugazi 4-1, and one too. They had some really wonky wins in that 4-1. and one. So even you know even with with Andy Dalton at quarterback, this was still a team that was circling the drain after that four and one start. The defense has been one of the worst defenses in football since that excuse me since that four and one start. So I just look at the window of the last six weeks, seven weeks, let's say, a window in which the Browns are four and one. They're four and one straight up in their last five games. They started out two six and one, and kind of a frisky two six and one. They fire Hugh Jackson. They're 4-1 and one in their last five games. The offense is going at a pretty good clip. They're coming off a win in Denver that I think will be kind of a, 
they kept their hopes alive. This is a team that's still alive for a postseason yeah. position and has a rookie quarterback. So this is one of those teams that have reasons to play. The Browns have all the reasons to play. The Bengals are folding up shop. We don't know if Marvin Lewis is going to be back after this year. Jeff Driscoll is the starting quarterback. Ugh. I just think this is the Browns have been one of the better teams over the last month and a half. The Bengals have been one of the most piss poor teams over the last month and a half, and they've got a they, they've got a you know just a patsy at quarterback in Driscoll, who's just a you know he's an undrafted guy who's sort of they're trotting him out there because his he's got QB next to his next to his name on the depth chart. They just and, beat this and team. And his name's not Kaepernick. And his so, name, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Are you a quarterback? Yes. Are you Colin Kaepernick? No. Get All right, there. you're hired. Pat yeah. him on the ass and give him a helmet. Yeah. And they just beat this team in Cincinnati 35-20 in a game that wasn't even that close. It was 35-7, I think, at one yeah. point in that game. That was a game that Driscoll came in for Andy Dalton. So I, I just think this is a case of the much better team at home with a ton of motivation, the, the much better quarterback – going against a team that's playing out the string. This is also just in terms of how much energy the players have. The Browns, for the first time, in some of those players' professional lives, are feeling an energy around the team. This time of year, these last couple games, when you're dead in the water, you're just a dead man walking as a football team, yeah. you're so tired. Like the Bengals, they're so tired. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, and you're asking and, them. And you're playing for a coach that should have been fired three years ago, and yeah. it's just it's exhausting. Well, so. and think about the fan base in Cleveland too, Seth, which is one of the most loyal fan bases in football. I mean, this has been the worst franchise maybe in team sports over the last 20 years. Think about how amped that environment's going to be oh, yeah, for a meaningful be, December football game. Uh-huh. And even though – even if I feel like even if they were mathematically out of it, just by the life that they're showing with Baker Mayfield, it yeah. would still be a charged environment. Yep. Um, Packers is a pick 'em. Well, it's the moved. Jets. The line's moved. It was a pick 'em when I put these up. Uh, the, the post went up today, but I, t- I typed it up last night. The line's moved. A lot of money's come in on the Packers. The Packers are a small favorite right now in New York, which I think they should be. Obviously, I'm taking the Packers over the Jets. It was a pick 'em earlier. If you want to back this pick, it's up to you. It's up to three points in some places. So if you feel skittish about laying a field goal on the road, with a team who has a field goal kicker who's been a little <laughs> up and down this year. And I, I think there's a there's a dynamic here in this game, Seth, where you go, okay, these are two teams that are probably playing out the string. I do think Aaron Rodgers is going to play in this game. I think there's going to be something with Aaron Rodgers in these last couple games, and I think there has been since Mike McCarthy got fired, that Aaron Rodgers, who's gotten a lot of blame for Mike McCarthy getting fired, wants to at least show people that, hey, man, I'm not – like the guy deserved to be fired, yeah. like you know, and, and so I think there is You've got former Packers coming out and talking about Aaron, talking Rogers, about Aaron Rodgers to take more ownership and accountability. Yeah, and everything. So, so I think there's some motivation with Rodgers in this game. He's the best player on the field in this game. Um, Sam Darnold is an X factor in his ability to extend plays. I was impressed. We saw with him that on last Saturday. Week, yeah, that was my second biggest takeaway behind man Deshaun Watson. I like having that guy on my side with five minutes to go. My second biggest takeaway in that game was I'm, I came away way more impressed with Sam Darnold than I. Thought I would be. That's how I've been after watching Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold both. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what the numbers are in any given play, you see that that composure and that poise and that ability to make good throws um, that you don't like. Those, it's just it's mostly genetic. Yeah, like, yeah, you're yeah. Just, you're not going to teach kids that. And two of the most downtrodden franchises in the NFL yeah. over the last twenty years now probably feel pretty good about their futures. So Dolphins. It's uh, Jaguars at Dolphins. Jaguars are at the Dolphins. The Dolphins are a four-point favorite. It's funny. DVOA on Football Outsiders, the efficiency measure, actually has the Jags as a a fairly decent gap of a better team 
than the Dolphins. They have them 18th overall. The Dolphins are 24th overall in DVOA. This has kind of been your typical sort of Dolphins around 500 year and that I feel like that's the one team in the NFL where they're rarely picking up in the top five, the Dolphins. You know, they're yeah. oftentimes picking around 10 or 12 or 14. They squeeze into the playoffs on random seasons like they did a couple of years ago. Um, but but they – so they sort of hang around, and, and you always feel like they're one of the – they're in the bottom quartile of the league, and yet you look up and they're 7-7 and seven or they're 7-8. and eight. That's one of those teams, except th- th- this is more of a fade of the Jags than it is any super confidence in the Dolphins. The Jags are 1-9 in their last 10 straight up. Cody Kessler has been an abject disaster as a replacement for Blake Bortles. He's engineered one touchdown drive in his last 31 possessions. One touchdown drive in 31 possessions. In the nine losses they've had straight up in that 10-game stretch, they haven't covered the spread in any of them. Some of that is because they were actually favored in some of those games. But even when they've been an underdog, they haven't been competitive enough to cover the spread and the Dolphins have actually been a surprisingly good home team this season Mm -hmm. six and one straight up and against the spread at home and Leonard Fournette just looks checked out he looks uh, like the exact opposite of the young rookie who said that the NFL was easier than the SEC. Yeah, the, uh, like karma's uh, a bitch. I know. He might <laughs> after after a couple preseason games, thinking that somehow, yeah, this is as hard as it. Yeah, uh, Broncos at Raiders. This might be the last Raiders game ever at the Coliseum. Yeah, depending on what uh, what happens with the lawsuit how next about, year. How about this for a DVOA anomaly on Football Outsiders? The Broncos are the seventh best team in the league according yeah. to DVOA. The Broncos are they're a tough nut to crack in terms of what the hell actually are they? They're six and eight on the season. They lose a lot of close games. Yeah. Emmanuel Sanders and Chris Chris Harris, those absences make them a different team right now. They, than- they, they do, and I feel like if you're looking at the, the Broncos, and they're certainly in that stew of about 20 or 22 or 23 teams that any of them can beat each other on a given Sunday. We found that out. The Texans needed a, a missed field goal at the end of a game in Denver to, to beat them. What it tells me is DVOA, which I think is a great measure. I know it's kind of a dorky stat thing for those of you listening who who don't, but it's Football Outsiders DVOA, and I feel like it's a contextually it's the best statistical package in my opinion of just measuring the meaningfulness of plays on a play-to-play basis. What this tells me it doesn't measure is really, really stupid turnovers Uh, and really, really silly coaching decisions. Vance Joseph has lost probably three games for them this year just based on being a horrible, horrible game manager. He's made some decisions that it seems almost impossible to make. Right. Like uh, they're on such a basic level that the only thing I could think is that maybe – Maybe he knows more about his squad, and there's some guy out there playing with a severed ACL or something. Right, right. I'm like what? What on earth? So, so let's pretend for a second that they have a real coach in there who makes the right decision in those instances. And instead of six and eight, they're nine and five at this yeah. point. Then you could see a nine and five team being seventh in DVOA. I think the Patriots are nine and five, and I think they're eighth right now in DVOA. So, anyways, but the Broncos, the 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 Broncos, uh, they've got a dead coach walking right now. It's going to be, you know, a two and a half point spread, so it's probably going to be a close game. And people are probably like, oh, the Raiders, really? The Raiders have been kind of frisky under Gruden late in the season. All these things that we've been saying about, hey, they traded Khalil Mack and they traded Amari Cooper. He's going to lose the locker room. This is going to be a disaster. I know that they're, I think, 3 and 11 or 4 and 10, I think, right now, the Raiders are. Um, they. They actually play competitive. They've played competitive ever since losing to San Francisco in that Thursday night game where everybody pronounced them dead and said they were going to lose by four touchdowns the rest of the year. They've either covered the spread or come within a play of covering the spread in, in virtually every single game. They were bad last week. They lost to the Bengals yeah. last week on the road, and I get that. But they've been a good home team, and this is a home game. And I, 
And, and that's well, been a good home environment this year, ironically. And I know that you like to watch the Gruden press conferences. Mm-hmm. I would say that it seems, like looking at it from 35,000 feet, and yeah. when I watch the Gruden press conferences, you always wonder when a team maybe intentionally – doesn't do as well as they could, how are they going to handle that mentally? Like, how's the coach, how is the GM actually going to function? Well, the GM's gone. Yeah, it's um, just Gruden. But it seems like Gruden, the old school guy that he is, has handled it pretty well. Like, he's uh, like you can feel like, okay, this is a guy that's we're a young team and we're just going to be moving forward no matter what the win-loss record is. Well, and he's handling it like a guy who has a 10-year contract, yeah. right? Like, there's no reason he needs to be, you know, over-the-top crazy, you know, like just a maniacal coach who's doing whatever to push his team's buttons, he's going to be around. I think we're going to get booted out of the studio in two minutes. You want me to do a quick one here? Saints, uh, Steelers, Steelers are playing at the Saints. You're saying the under on the 53-point total. Yep. I'm agreeing with you because the Steelers' run game refuses to die, and the Saints are just not as explosive as they had been for the first part of the season. Saints are a good defense, too. Last six games, they've only given up 12 points per game over their last six games, and these are two teams that have gone under consistently – over the last five or six games. The last five Saints games have gone under the total, and the Steelers, I believe it's four out of the last five, five out of the last seven, have gone under the total. The Steelers-Patriots game this past week was a 17-10 to game. It was about half of what the posted total was. So these totals sometimes, Seth, especially when they're up in the 50s, people get all wrapped up in the big names that are in this game, like Breeze and Thomas and Kamara on the Saints side, and then obviously all the explosive players that the Steelers have. These are two defenses, especially the Saints defense, that are playing Steelers decent. Saints are playing elite defense right now. The game's back in New Orleans. I think that Saints defense is going to come to play. Steelers are not a great road team either. So I think 53 is a lot of points for two teams that can run the football. Awesome, man. Good luck. I hope you get rich this weekend. The the Gestapo's coming. Merry Christmas to all the deceptively fast listeners. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. And you can read all of Sean's picks on HoustonPress.com. Sean does a weekly column there. I think he writes it year-round. So Houston Press is a fun publication. It used to be one of those free publications that you would pick up at stores uh, the, with all the local stuff, with a lot of alt writers and everything. Uh, but now it's all strictly online. I think they've carved out a pretty nice little niche for themselves in Houston and then the company that owns it does it in a bunch of other places. I could go off on a long tangent about this. These these little weekly free circulars that you used to see all over the place, one of the ways that they were able to make a go of it was because they would accept advertising that traditional newspapers would not. So you'd find all these really cool articles, um, you know, a lot of times investigative journalism and some really good writing, but also with a lot of advertising that featured uh, adult entertainment and uh, companionship services and things like that. Those have fallen by the wayside, at least here in Houston. I'm sure they do well elsewhere. And uh, it it seems like a relatively thriving business online. And I don't think they have to do the same type of advertising anymore. So they don't feel necessarily the same pressure to to cater to the seedy underside. Look, look, the seedy underbelly. There's nothing wrong with the seedy underbelly. Uh, Everybody needs a job. So uh, we've got Michael Lombardi up next. Mike Meltzer, my co-host, and Paul Gallant, my co-host, had some very good questions for him today. You can follow Paul Gallant at Gallant Says on Twitter. You can follow Mike Meltzer at Mike Meltzer. Here he is, Michael Lombardi. And joining us now, he writes for The Athletic. He has a great podcast on The Ringer, and he's the author of Gridiron Genius. Michael Lombardi, how are you this morning, Michael? I am great, Seth. I am great. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy uh, Merry Christmas, whatever all. Enjoy. 
Hope all is well down in Houston town. It is a Merry Christmas. My co-host Mike Meltzer claims he's never heard this song, Baby, It's Cold Outside, until just this morning when we played it for him. <laughs> Do you believe that, Michael? No, I don't. <laughs> no. I tend to think probably How not can you? I mean, I like, what is he living in? Has he ever heard of Frank Sinatra? I mean, is, is, <laughs> we're, we're going to have to go over what he heard? <laughs> I mean, you know. I mean, this is challenging. I mean, I don't want to have to deal with it. This is hard. <laughs> this is uh, this is what I'm guessing you're not having a hard time believing, that Josh Gordon, uh, a, a man that you had experience with when he was in Cleveland, uh, is leaving the Patriots. There's potentially he's facing an indefinite suspension, so he's obviously run into some trouble again. I'm guessing the Patriots had a pretty good idea that this was a possibility. Yeah, look, I think they had to. I mean, unless, you know, they... You know, this is a this is a tragedy. It really is because this is something that Josh has been fighting his whole life, and and it's never been able to uh, get away from him. It's just been a demon that's lived inside of him. I've experienced it with him when I was in Cleveland. He's not a malicious person at all. I mean, he has good intentions. He just doesn't have the ability that to fight this. And a lot of us go through this uh, with addiction problems throughout this country, and we've lost a lot of young people to the opioid crisis in this world that is caused by addiction problems. And certainly I'm not saying that Josh Gordon has an opioid problem. I'm not, I'm just talking about addiction. And so this has been a challenge. And I thought when he went there, this would be hard for him because the volume of work was always going to become an issue. He, Josh is not a, a guy that can handle all of it. And that's why I wrote that column. I retweeted it today and people are like, well, you just want to prove you're right. No, I think if you read the column, you can understand the depths of the problem that the kid has. That's the point of the story. How, uh, if we go to the Eagles, because the Texans face the Eagles this week, are they actually calling the plays differently with Nick Foles or is Nick Foles just doing a better job of executing the offense than Carson Wentz did? Well, I think Nick Foles is being willing to be more generous with the football and throw it to somebody other than Zach Ertz. I think there's no doubt. I mean, he's looking for Jeffrey, but I think they, they look that one thing we know about Nick Foles is he can operate in the Chip Kelly style of offense. That's what, that's what they decided to do after the Oakland game last year when they only scored 13 points. They let him back. They bought in the, the, the zone read, the outside zone read, the over routes, and the, and the classic Chip Kelly three-by-one sets that he always likes to run and, and still runs in UCLA. So, yes, I think when Carson's in there, there's things that Carson likes to run that's different than Chip Kelly's offense. So you see a little bit different. But this game really is about the Eagles' defensive front. I mean, that's really where the game is going to be won or lost. Nick Foles will have his moments in the game, and I'm sure the Texans will have their moments on defense rushing him and creating problems and creating turnovers. But this is games going to come down to my great law firm of Davenport and Lamb. Can these two tackles block? <laughs> Can these two tackles handle it? I mean, this is going to be the game. And then who's going to block inside? Can Nick Martin help inside on both guards? Fulton, you know, can they help them inside because Fletcher Cox is a load and Tim Jernigan's a load. Michael Bennett's playing at the highest level he's played at all year. And so I think this game's coming down to the Texans' offensive line against the Eagles defensive line. And if they played the way they did against the Jets, they won't win. Michael, I want to go back to Josh Gordon real quick. What are his demons? You know, I think I think it's a it's a lifelong battle. I think there's an addiction to to something that, that stimulates his mind, whether it's alcohol or drugs, and I'm not sure what you could pinpoint, but I think there's something there's an there's some kind of release or some tension that builds in his body. I don't think any of us know what, if we knew what the demons were, we could solve it, but we really don't. And I think it creeps up, whether it's the pressure of being great, you know, some players can't handle that. You know, the pressure, the magnitude of the moment is, is, is certainly hard on players. So 
I don't know if I can give you the right answer on that. I just know that it lives with inside of him, and it has since the time that he was at Baylor, that he transferred to Utah, that he went to Cleveland. I mean, everybody thinks they're going to go away. Everybody wants it for Josh Gordon, but unfortunately Josh doesn't want it as much as other people want it for himself. What teams would you say have a legitimate shot in the AFC to make it to the Super Bowl now that we're heading into Week 16? I think this, this, I think the teams, the way they're seated right now with the 12 teams, how they are, I think all 12 have a chance to get to where they want to go. I don't think there's a bad playoff team. Now, that doesn't include the Eagles in this because I don't know if the Eagles are truly a playoff team. But I think that all the teams that are seated, from Baltimore, who's the sixth seed right now in the AFC, to Minnesota, who's the sixth seed in the NFC, I think they have a chance to, on any given Sunday, can win a game. I think this is as close to the pack as anybody. I think the only team that has separated themselves from the pack a little bit are the Saints. They're 7-1 and one on the road. They're able to play right and left-handed. When the Saints can beat you and hold you to nine points – or, or only gained 120 yards like they did in Minnesota. The Saints are the most complete team. The two most complete teams in the NFL are the Saints and the Chargers. They have good offenses, they have good defenses, and they can play effectively. Now, who's going to be the best team? I think we have to play it out. Are you buying this improvement in the Minnesota Vikings with the firing of John DiFilippo, or is this a, just a one-week year, a one week bounce? Well, a couple factors, Seth. I think, you know, Miami's a horrendous team on the road on defense. They're one of six. They can't stop anybody on the road. They've had double-digit losses. So that, that, that went for uh, that went in favor of the Vikings offense. But I think they did some nice things in terms of their, their, their scheme. I think much is made about the offensive plays. Everybody thinks pass plays, pass plays, pass plays. But the design of the run game, the ability to get angles in the run game, to have more than just an outside zone or an inside zone, to be able to do diversification within your run game certainly helps it helps an offense. And I think that's what Minnesota did effectively. They were able to utilize that. Their play calling was a little bit of a head. They went more CFL play calling, which I think is critical, which that by that I mean is get first downs on two downs. I hate this notion of being in third and manageable. It's the dumbest thing I could ever hear in my life. We're going to get in the third and manageable. You know, every announcer on television can't wait to come out, other than Joe Tess, who loves to say shallow cross more than anybody <laughs> on this planet Earth, that everybody loves to say they're in third and manageable. Here we're in third and manageable. Well, that's what Mike Zimmer wants you to be in third and manageable. <laughs> I mean, the Titans have only allowed nine third down conversions in the last three weeks. Like, what is third and manageable? Tell me, you know. Tell me what third and manageable is. It's not. Get first downs and two downs. The best team in that area, the New Orleans Saints. This could be recency bias, but given where we were early on this season where offenses were scoring points at an unprecedented rate, over the last couple of weeks it does seem that offenses have really slowed down. What is it that has lent itself to that over the last few weeks? Is this a year-to-year thing, or is this unique to this season? No, I think it's the weather. I do think the weather has – Jared Goff can't throw the ball in cold weather. Thank God he got – could you imagine if Jared Goff would have got drafted by the Eagles? Now, the Eagles would have said we would have taken Goff or Wentz, whoever went one, two. Could you imagine if he was in Philadelphia today? It's 28 for a high here in Philadelphia. <laughs> How do you think that was going to go for Jared Goff? You know, like, Did you see him on the sideline in Chicago? You thought, he was in, you thought he was in the frozen tundra game. I mean, what would Vince Lombardi have done when he walked over and seen with that, all that stuff on his body? I mean, some quarterbacks can't throw the ball in the cold. The ball expands. Their hands aren't big enough. They can't control it. I think weather has played a factor in some of this. And the other thing is I think that as it gets colder, it's harder – to be more, uh, it's it's harder to be explosive on offense. The field's a little slower, the grass a little thicker. The, it's not as fast to track. 
and I think the defense can take advantage of it, and I think you'll see it. Now, I think we'll see offensive football, but, you know, I think defensive football always will have a place. It's situationally that, that it manifests itself the most. I'm, I'm glad you brought up quarterback play in the weather because uh, this, this whole Josh Allen experience has wrapped me in way more than it should for uh, a quarterback that I'm not very bullish on long term. But if you have this guy who can gun it, and to also run for 100-plus yards a game. Is there is there any chance? We're trying to talk ourselves into a Bills upset of the Patriots this weekend. Well, I don't think that'll happen, but I do think that, what, you know, look, if you have Josh Allen, and I'm writing this for The Athletic today, I'm writing my, my Christmas hope list because I've watched Home Alone now 14,000 times, and the greatest line in Home Alone is this Christmas is a season of perpetual hope. So I'm going to give every NFL team some perpetual hope here. And I think the one thing I gave the, the Bills is, is big receivers with long wingspan and huge catch radius because Allen is never going to be accurate enough to really withstand it, but he can play in the cold. He's got a gun as an arm, and he will throw it and run with it. And if you've got receivers like Hopkins around them, Guys like that, now that's a rarity, I understand that, but if you have guys like Hopkins around them that can catch the ball away from their body because it's always going to be away from their body, I think he can become an effective player. Do I think he's a great player? No, but I think you've got to build your team around that aspect. Michael, last thing uh, from us. What would Belichick have said about the way the Texans beat the Jets on Saturday? Well, you know, to the team, he would have said, hey, look, a win's a win. You know, look, we feel good about it. Winning on the road isn't easy in the NFL. It's, it's tough. We, we play tough. We play tough-minded. We fought hard. They're a good opponent. Give them their credit. But we got a lot of work to do come Monday when you get back in the office. we got to clean some things up because we can't win in playoffs if we're going to play like that. So it's the greatest thing for Bill O'Brien to have ever happened. He won, but he won ugly. And winning ugly allows you to go back and get the team's attention. And you can refocus them and say, fellas, here we are. If we play like this in Philadelphia, it'll be over with at halftime. They're going to kick our butts, and we're going to go home. And to me, that's the most powerful thing a coach has is the player's attention after a win. If you win 48 to nothing, ain't nobody listening to you. We're great. We're great. Everybody loves us. We're great. Nothing's going to matter. But if you don't, if you can find a way to win and, and still get the message across, you can create some situations for your team that can really benefit yourself. He is Michael Lombardi. If you are still looking for a last-minute gift Christmas present for somebody that loves football in your life, get them Gridiron Genius. It's Michael Lombardi's book. It's got some great stories in there about some of the greats of the game, and also it's kind of a good, really good how-to manual in coaching if you're a coach. Michael, really appreciate it. Have a good Christmas. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. I'm hoping the books – you know, Texas has all these high school coaches of any sport – and I was uh, in New York yesterday at the Amazon, and I saw that my book's a bestseller in New York. So it's got to be a bestseller in Texas. I mean, all those coaches, I think it would benefit everybody. It's a great stocking, stu- a stocking stuffer. So I appreciate all the time and appreciate talking to you guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Michael. That'll do it for this week, everybody. Have a great weekend. If I don't talk to you before Christmas, have a wonderful Christmas Eve and Christmas, and we'll see you before New Year's. So this will be not our last time chatting before 2019. Hope everybody's team does great this weekend, and I hope you are all safe. Remember, get a ride share, get an Uber, get a Lyft. There's no need in this day and age. And this includes my wife's small town of Portville, New York, which maybe has like 2,000 inhabitants. They have Uber now. So I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you have Uber available to you or a taxi or anything else. Don't drive drunk. Don't drive high. Do whatever you're going to do. Look, it's a, it's a relatively free country, freer in some states than in others. Just don't get behind the wheel when you do it. Love you all. Thank you.